Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I love to teach about the Holy Spirit. It was up to me. I would teach every Wednesday night about the Holy Spirit because there's so much to be taught. There's so much. You can never, ever, ever run out of material um, dealing with the Holy Spirit because he is the administrator of the church. He's the one who's here on earth. He's running the show. He's responsible for uh, all of us being here, responsible for us operating in the gifts that, that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased for us at the cross. And so we need to be extremely, extremely reverent toward the Holy Spirit. We need to be extremely grateful that Jesus did not leave us as orphans here on the earth, that he he gave us um, the ability to be able to be filled. He qualified us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to start out tonight with a couple of things I want you to consider. Every one of us realizes and understands that life is full of questions. The good thing is Jesus is full of answers. Now, it's been said that the Bible exists to reveal God, and it does. And this is true. But I also would like to propose to you tonight for you to consider that the Bible exists to answer problems. All throughout the Word of God, we find God answering people's problems. Let's start in the beginning. Adam is lonely. God creates a wife for him. Problem is solved. A flood is coming. How appropriate tonight. God gives Noah a plan to build an ark. The problem is solved. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. God raises up Moses. Their problem of slavery is solved. We were sinners. We needed a savior. God sends Jesus to the cross The sin problem is solved. Now, I want you to listen to this scripture. I'm going to read you a very familiar verse of scripture. I want you to, before I read the scripture, to consider this. When Jesus told the disciples that he was going to return to heaven, the disciples, the church at that time, immediately realized that they had a problem. They needed help. Because they realized they could not make it here on the earth without him. And God had an answer. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, is recorded, said this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, when we read this verse of Scripture, we, in our Western mindset, in our Americanized way of viewing Christianity, when we read this verse, we hear mansions. We hear nice houses. We hear better place to live, great opulence, Whatever. I hear oceanfront living, okay? (laughs) 
when the disciples heard this, they listened politely and they said, uh, wait a second, can you back up a little bit? You're doing what? You're going where? You're leaving us? How are we supposed to make it here? They immediately recognized they had a problem. They didn't know where he was going. They, he claimed that they knew the way to get there. Thomas, who among all the disciples wasn't sure about anything, he starts freaking out altogether. He says, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way to get there? And Jesus answered with a statement that we could all recite from memory. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. They had a problem. Jesus had an answer. Jesus is the problem solver. Amen? Amen. But I want you to consider who Jesus today uses to solve problems. John 14, 16, I want to read to you from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. All descriptions of the activity of the Holy Spirit here on the earth. That he may remain with you for how long? Forever. Forever. There's never a time in the life of a believer that the Holy Spirit will not be present in our lives. You need, you need to hold on to that. Okay? You need to hold on to that. This is a New Testament reality. There is never a time in the life of a believer. I'm talking about a believer. What is a believer? Somebody who has stated with their mouth, declared with their mouth, their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, received him and accepted him as, as Savior. In the life of that individual, for that moment that that person makes that declaration of faith in Christ, till we enter into eternity, there is never a moment that the Holy Spirit will not be with you. Amen. Amen. This is exactly how Jesus fulfilled the promise, I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Okay? You got it? Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, welcome, take to its heart, because it does not see him or know and recognize him. But you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. Now, we say amen, we understand it because we're looking at it from this point in history backwards. But they are standing in front of him. And they're thinking, this doesn't make any sense. What do you, you, you just told us you're going away. But now you tell us you're going to be with us always. Which way is it? How, you know, do you understand the confusion that they might have experienced? Let's go through this again. Verse 17. The spirit of truth, he's introduced to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot welcome, the world cannot take to its heart the Holy Spirit because it does not see him or know and recognize him. Now, he's standing in front of the disciples. And I could picture Jesus doing something like this. But you know him. Here I am. For he lives with you constantly. 
And then he points to the future. Watch. And will be in you. Now, that's when they got a hint. Okay, he's saying something different than what we think he's saying. Because Jesus is standing in front of them physically. It's impossible for him physically to be in them. But he's pointing them to a time when the Spirit of God that was upon him would come to indwell every single person who claimed to be a believer. Verse 18. This is some of the most important promises that Jesus made to us. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come, and then the Amplified adds back, I will come back to you. Just a little while now, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. That is an amazing promise. Again, I'm, I want to believe, and I'm sure to an extent this took place, that during that time after they arrested Jesus in the garden, from that moment until Jesus appears to them on Sunday night, that some of them had to sit when they were sitting together in that house and they're full of fear, they're paralyzed because they're thinking, wow, if they crucified him, they're coming after us next. But somebody there, somebody there, maybe it was John, somebody in that room had to say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You remember what he said to us? Because this, this statement was made the night they arrested Jesus. It had to pop up on the inside. So wait a second, wait a second. We're here freaking out. We're paralyzed with fear. We're concerned. They're looking at the door. They're looking at the windows. They're thinking any moment they're coming to arrest them. But somebody in that crowd had to remember this promise. Just a little while now, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you live also. They had a problem. Their problem, their problem in their mind was about Jesus. If you go away, who's going to help us here? And you and I face the same problems today. Since we can't see Jesus... Sometimes we fall prey to the thoughts of he's gone. He's not here. We're on our own. And that can be scary. I don't care who you are. That can be scary. That thought of thinking, I've got to face life on my own. I've got to try to figure out these problems. I've got to figure out my next move. I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay my mortgage. How am I going to make my car payment? How am I going to, I've got to figure out how am I going to get healthy now because the doctor just said things don't look too good. And when stuff like that hits you, if you don't start remembering and reminding yourself, wait a second, he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He said, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he's going to send another one just like me, but different. If you don't start reminding yourself of that, you're going to fall prey to that, that loneliness. You're going to fall prey to that, that, that spirit that comes and whispers in your ear, you're done. You're on your own. He might have came through the last time, but you know, he might not come through this time. And we face that same problem today because we think because we can't see him that he's left us. It's never God's intention for us to do life apart from him. Never, never, never. And you see, you can think back in your own lives, times when God may have allowed you to walk through some things so that you would remember that you're not alone that he is with you. And no matter what the circumstance, 
he's going to take you to the other side. And just as Jesus promised his disciples, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm not going to leave you powerless. He has an answer for us. The Father will give you another one just like me, a strengthener, an intercessor, an advocate, one who is full of power. Jesus said it. The Father's going to send another one just like me, but different, different form. Not going to have a physical body, but his presence is going to live in you. And the answer came in the form of a person. And we know that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit and describes him as another comforter, another one, another one. Now, let me ask you this question. Again, I'm fighting the temptation to start pacing here, but I'll be good. I'll stay here. Do you know this person? Or do you know just about him? Do you know this person? Can you think of times in your day when you are very aware that you're not alone? Or are you, or are you constantly fighting off thoughts of you're by yourself, nobody cares, you're in this alone, you're going to have to see this through by your, on, your, on your own. Find ways to remind yourself. Don't get religious and don't start doing wacky, super spiritual things. But find a way to remind yourself that he's with you, that he's in you. And listen, listen, try to cultivate and, and nurture within yourself a mindset. And this is the mindset I want you to cultivate, that you hear his voice. Because so many people think, listen, especially if you grew up in the type of background that, like, that, like I did in Roman Catholicism, okay? Thank God, thank God for our Catholic roots. Thank God, because they taught us the reality. But they didn't teach us the indwelling presence of God. They taught us the reality of God. We knew he was real, we know, and we know he could work miracles. And we know that from time to time, at least that was taught us, he would work in and through certain people, and most of them were up on the altar. Okay. So we knew that he could do it. Okay. But we weren't taught, at least for the most part, I'm sure there's some churches that even today are, are teaching the truth of some of these things, but we were not taught that the presence of God dwells in you. Now, I was never an altar boy, and I thank God for that. But I was devout in my Catholicism. I knew that nobody, not just any person, could go up on that altar. You remember they had the wooden fence in the front? You know? And so, you know, you could get close to that. You can kneel in front of it, but don't think you're going to get on the other side. Okay? That's reserved for some people. But then even from there, now I knew some of my friends were altar boys. And I knew they would not dare go to that little golden box in the middle of the altar. You remember what, you remember what it was called? Tabernacle. Where'd that come from? The Old Testament. And in the tabernacle, in the very most holy part of the temple, where a priest can only go once a year on one day, it was forbidden for anybody to even approach that place. Nobody but the high priest could go into that room. Well, they shrunk it down. 
Bible, Bible commentators tell us that that, that that room in the temple was 15 by 15 by 15 feet. And it got shrunk down to about 18 by 18 because only a hand had to go in there, not a whole person. And I'm not making fun of this. I'm just I'm trying to bring the reality of this. Now, I don't know about you, but I was scared to death of even thinking about getting close to that altar because we weren't taught that we're worthy enough. We were taught that maybe someday we might get good enough if we endured through enough suffering and pain. If we, yeah, this is the reality of it. You know, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe, some, maybe, maybe in the future, after spending a few million years in purgatory, that maybe will someday be good enough, okay? I'm not mocking anything. I'm, if you're a Catholic, you know what I'm talking I'm talking the truth. That's what, that's what basic Catholic doctrine teaches, okay? So pray for your Catholic friends, that they would have a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But we were not taught that the presence of the one who was in that tabernacle when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, in that room of the Holy of Holies, there was a thick drape, a, th a curtain at anywhere from, anywhere from 12 inches to 18 inches, from top to, from top to bottom, tore on its own. When Jesus said, it is finished, and the presence of God that dwelt on the other side of that curtain, it's like God's like, I'm out of here. I can now dwell in my people. If you don't keep that reality alive on the inside of you, that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us, according to the book of Romans, if you don't keep that alive in you, then you're going to walk around with a, at best, a priestly attitude, not a child of the king attitude. Are you listening? You will not be aware that you're the one that carries the presence of God. Now, every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, and I'm not, again, I'm not mocking anybody. I just want to bring out some awareness here. When I get to church, pastor, uh, I need to pray about such and such a situation. Now, listen to what the person, of course, nobody in here would ever say anything like this. When I get to church, I need to pray. Now, what if you have an emergency? You drive down here like a bat out of, you know, and you get here and you find out that the doors are closed for some reason or another. If you don't have the understanding, if you have not cultured, cultivated and nurtured within you the understanding that you are the one that carries the Spirit of God, that you are the one that's the temple of the Holy Ghost, that this is only a building and the church is only here when the church shows up, then you will fall prey into that religious priestly attitude. Now, I know the Bible tells us that we're kings and priests before our God. But when I talk about a priestly attitude, it's like, okay, until I put all my garments on, until I have all my religious symbols on, until I walk into that building where the candles are flickering and maybe the organ is playing, 
and the light's shining colorful through the windows, you'll start thinking, I can't accomplish anything until I get into that place. But you see, and that's Old Testament thinking. Old Testament thinking, God was tied to a place. In New Testament thinking, God is tied to a person. It is a very big difference. So where you go, he goes. If you don't go, he doesn't go. Now, make sure you entertain that kind of mindset when a family member or a friend calls you from the hospital and says, can you please come here and pray for me? Now, what many people will do, of course, nobody in here, because you came out on Wednesday night in the rain and everything else. (laughs) What most people will do, most Christians will do, is they'll get on the phone. Hello, is this new beginning? Yes. Um, My friend, my family member is in the hospital. Can you send one of the pastors? Now, can we send one of the pastors? Yeah. But why do you need one of us to go? You have the same spirit in you that we have in us. When you do that, you are insinuating that you don't have as much power in you as the pastor does, as the assistant pastor does, as the pastoral team, the pastoral care team does. You're already setting yourself up for failure. Because when you do that, now the devil's going to jump on you because he knows you don't think you've got what it takes. You're not aware that the greater one lives inside you. Are you listening to me? Are you catching this? The Holy Spirit does for those who follow Jesus what Jesus did for his disciples when he was physically present. Having the Holy Spirit is exactly like having Jesus. He teaches He guides, he admonishes, he comforts. And that's why he's called another comforter. You're catching this. I I hope you are, because this is really foundational stuff for a New Testament believer, for an individual who has already received Christ, has already had that experience of being born again and having the Holy Spirit live on the inside of you. You need to become more and more aware of who you're carrying in you. Paul writing about the Holy Spirit, said he's the same one Jesus talked about. And if you're a believer, lives in you. Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, Now, let's go to the very first few words of that scripture again. Now, you see the word if, and if the spirit of God, the spirit of him, that word really should be translated since. Are you, are you listening to me? Because it's a fact. There's no if about it. You, you, are you catching this? Or did you get too soggy tonight when you, when you got here? Catch that. It's since he lives in you. Not if. If deposits a little bit of doubt. Because you start thinking, well, is he? I don't feel any different. I don't sense like my clothes are tighter. Is he really with me? Since 
The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give us life to our mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in us. You got to get a hold of this. This needs to be something that you repeat to yourself. This needs to be something that you confess. This needs to be something that you walk in. This needs to be a present-day reality in your life. You need to constantly remind yourself the same Holy Ghost that reached into that cold, dead body in that dark tomb and just ignited life again in Jesus' dead body, that same Spirit the one who was there on the day of creation, the one when God said, let there be light, who was hovering over the darkness and the chaos, he went into action. That same person lives in you if you're a believer. Resurrection power. That's what it took to raise Jesus from the dead, and that's what you have inside you. The problem is that thoughts are going to come. You're going to have to fight those thoughts. I'm all alone in this world. I'm powerless in the face of adversity. Oh, my God. Those are some of the worst things that we can say as believers. Now, you don't, you don't have a loneliness problem. You have an ignorance problem. Don't get mad about that. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. I didn't say you had a stupidity problem. I said you had an ignorance problem. No, come on. Be real with me here. You know, I didn't say we were stupid. I said we were ignorant. We could be ignorant. I'm very ignorant in, in a lot of different areas of life. You know, today, uh, Jamie, who's in charge of the facility and stuff here, was trying to explain to me something about a faucet. I said, J don't even, just don't even waste the time. I'm, I'm completely inept when it comes to that kind of stuff, except for me relying on the Holy Spirit to teach me how to do something. Well, I'm ignorant. Now, with me, my ignorance is compounded because I don't even have the energy to want to learn that. So it's like, don't waste the time. Just you fix it and trust me and I, I trust you. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so what happens when people are ignorant? And that's the problem with every one of us. Well, that was a problem in every one of our lives before we came to Christ. We were ignorant of what he did. I'll never forget the day that a little lady came to my place of business. Now, mind you, again, let me back up a little bit. I'm, I'm raised Roman Catholic. Went to Catholic school from first grade all the way to sixth grade. Okay, formula of years. Okay, went to church, believed in all this stuff. I was I was the holy one in the family. I was the devout one in the family. So when I got born again, it sent an earthquake through the rest of the family. Like, are you kidding me? You left the church? I said, no, 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 no. The church left me a long time ago. I found the church. So besides that, but I realized. When this woman was standing in my place of business and she spent two and a half hours speaking with me, and the stuff that was coming out of her mouth about Jesus and the gospel and grace and salvation, I sat there like, man, I might have been a good Catholic, but I didn't know anything about this stuff. I was ignorant. Now, what's the cure for ignorance? Knowledge. Knowledge. And that's why it's so important for us to get to know the Word of God. That's why we should have gratitude on a regular basis that God preserved this Word for us all these thousands of years. Think about that. 
Think about the fact that when they dug up these Dead Sea Scrolls back in the, 19, the late 1940s, 1948, 49, something like that, and they found preserved in the area of the Dead Sea in Israel, in clay jars sealed with tar, they found preserved these scrolls. And when they, when they were able to very carefully un- unroll them and just, uh, uh, just some of them were in pieces, when they were able to put it all together and they realized, uh, having understood ancient Hebrew and Aramaic, which some of them were written in, when they realized, they said, this is exactly the same text that we have now in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Isaiah, that God would go out of his way to make sure that over thousands of years that it would be preserved for us. How dare we not have an appreciation? And some of us, if you're like me, I must have 18 Bibles at home. All different translations, scattered all over the house. And we just take it for granted. I watched a video recently. Some of you might have seen the same one of uh, a, a, ship, a shipment of Bibles that made it to China. And you see the people opening up these suitcases and, and all of a sudden they start descending and piling on top of each other to try to get a copy of the Word of God. And here, sometimes we've got to beg people. We have to give them away for free. Here, you need a Bible. Well, I'll get one someday. No, you need a Bible. Treasure that. Treasure that because we might see the day, even in this country, we don't have the freedom to be able to read that book publicly. So, so Jacob thought he had a loneliness problem. Now, Jacob in the Old Testament, Esau's brother, Jacob the trickster, thought he had a loneliness problem, but he found out that he had an ignorance problem. Jacob and Esau, you remember, were twins that were born to Isaac and, Jake, and, and Rebekah. And a rivalry developed between the two of them over which one's going to get the best part of their father's inheritance. And according to tradition and custom, Esau, who, when they were born, Esau put his hand out first. The midwife tied a little red string around his arm. He withdrew that arm, and here comes the trickster, Jacob. But Esau technically was the firstborn. You catching this? Now he's fighting for the inheritance. And you may know the story how he tricked his father and his father was blind and Jacob tricked his father into giving him the firstborn share because the firstborn share according to tradition and custom was supposed to be double what the next brother would get. And so he has to flee for his life. His mother was then on it. You talk about a dysfunctional family. His mother helped him trick the father. Esau shows up, now everything's hitting the fan. And so Jacob has to take off. And he, he ends up in a very desolate place in the wilderness. He stops for the night. And we pick up here in Genesis chapter 28, verse 11. At sundown, he arrived at a good place, I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation, to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down this stairway. Verse 13, "At at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, 
the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you, and I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Verse 14, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. I love that verse. Because you know what? He's not finished with you until he gives you everything he has promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. He had an ignorance problem. He thought he was all by himself. Here he is at asleep with his head on a stone out in the middle of nowhere. It'd be very easy for your imagination to take off. It'd be very easy for fear to come upon you. It'd be very easy to give up hope and say, I'm done. I'm never going to see my family again. God intervenes on the scene. Jacob thought he was left to do life on his own, but in actuality, God was with him. And he names that place Bethel, house of God. The reality of the presence of God hit him. We as Christians think our experience with God is tied to a place. Just as I was talking about before, we have this mindset coming from our religious background. Jacob entertained that same mindset. Because if you read the rest of the chapter, when Jacob comes to the realization of what just took place, he takes that stone, he sets it upright, and he pours oil over it and dedicates this as the house of God. And truthfully, that's the best he could do in the age that he lived in. Designate a place, remember a place, memorialize a place where God met him. You know what place I memorialize? I memorialize April 25th, 1984, a little church about four or five miles away from here, though it's not there anymore. I memorialize that, pl- I memorialize that place in my heart because on that night, Jesus Christ saved me. His spirit came to live inside me. But from that point forward, I carried him with me. I did not go back to that place hoping to experience the same thing. I could experience the same thing every place I went from that point forward. Are you you catching this? Because if you catch the reality of this, it's going to make you live different. It's going to make you see God different. It's going to cause you to see yourself different. And it's going to cause you to respond to your challenges differently. You're not going to scatter. You're not going to get, you're not going to fall to pieces. You're not going to collapse. You're not going to get on the phone and call 16 people up. You're not going to get on Facebook and say, I need everybody, every one of my friends to pray or, or so that God could come through. What picture does that paint? What kind of illustration does that make about God? When you say, I got to get every one of my friends to pray.
What is that saying about God? Does that paint him as a good God, a gracious God, a God of mercy, a God of compassion? That paints him as, as a tyrant. Like, no, 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 I told you 16 people, you only got 15. You got to get one more. Got to get one more. And so people, people who have that kind of mindset, this religious mindset that does not understand that the Bible teaches us that one could put a thousand to flight, but two can put how many? 10,000. So what ends up happening is when, when the prayer doesn't get answered, not because God wasn't willing and not because you didn't have enough people, but you didn't have enough faith in the Holy Ghost that was in you. When the prayer doesn't get answered, you start thinking, and now I'm going to be mad at you, Corey, because you didn't pray when I asked you to pray. I'm going to be mad at you, Jen, because you didn't, you didn't answer the phone. I, I, you see what I'm saying? And so then the enemy comes in and starts sowing seeds of destruction because you did not have the knowledge that you needed or didn't act on the knowledge that you had. That the greater one lives inside you. Jesus said the instruction he gave, Jesus gave instruction to the church before he left here. Now let me just back up. For, remind me where I'm going with this. Jesus gave instruction, okay? Because I get on another rabbit trail and then... Why are we here tonight? Now I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. I'm very glad you're here because it would have aggravated me if I came here in the rain and you all stayed home. <laughs> but watch this now. What are we doing here? What are we doing here tonight when we should be home? What, what are we doing? Why are we here? Come on, come on, speak up, speak up. To gain knowledge, to learn. How about who said equip? To become equipped. Why? Because we're going to leave this place that we think is so holy. And the only thing that makes this place holy is you brought the Holy Ghost, 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 you in the back brought the Holy Ghost, you brought the Holy Ghost. And so now we're enjoying that presence corporally. But watch. In 18 minutes, we're going to leave this place. And the devil's waiting for you in the parking lot. The thoughts are going to start as soon as you walk out that door. Thoughts like, oh, man, you got to get up and go to work tomorrow. And I hate my boss. Oh, man, I got to go home. And he or slash she is going to start when I get there. Uh, I got a week's worth of laundry to do. If only that bum would help me. Oh, that pain is back. Oh, man. I got some temporary relief when I went to church, but now I, I realize again, my car payment is overdue. All those thoughts are going to start. What are you going to do? I'm going to turn around and walk back in again. <laughs> That's not your solution. You can't sleep here. And even if you did, we're all going to leave. And you'd still be by yourself with your thoughts. 
What are you going to do? I'll never forget this situation. And I'm not going to make you come up and sing the song, so don't get nervous. When we first came back from Bible school, when we, um, we lived in, in a place and we found a place in Tom's River to live in, a house, we were there for about a year. And the landlord sends us a letter. I'm putting the house up for sale. Please start looking for something. I said to my wife, don't worry about this. You know, with the way the market is right now, this is 97. Well, by this time it was 98. Ah, the way the market is, she's going to take a year to sell this house. 30 days later. The house is sold. We're having the closing in 45 days. You got to get out. I mean, diplomatically, the letter said that. Now, if you're by yourself, it's easy to find a one-bedroom apartment. If you're just you and your wife, but when it's you, your wife, and four kids, it's not that easy to find something affordable. And so we had to get out. We had no place to go. So we ended up, thank God it was in the fall in September. Uh, actually, it was the end of August, beginning of September, prime vacation time. Where do we end up? At the beach, living in beach property, summer rentals. Did anybody know here how expensive summer rentals can be in August? Okay. So we're living in this house in Seaside Park. On the, at least it was on the ocean side. Um, and I'm disgusted. All we have is our clothes with us. We had to put everything in storage. I'll never forget this one morning. I was, I was absolutely disgusted. By this time, school had started. My wife had brought the kids to school. They were going to school. In, in Lakewood, Calvary, Calvary Academy. So I'm home. I'm by myself. And I'm starting to feel all the pressure. What are you doing? You can't stay in this. You don't have enough money to live here for more than a couple of weeks. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? So to get, I, I said, let me get out of the house and go for a walk. And I come down the stairs. It was, it was one of those, you know, like about 50 steps to get up to the, to the second floor. So I figured, let me get out and go buy a newspaper. You remember what newspapers are? How many remember newspapers? Where instead of going on the internet, you actually, it was in print. So I said, let me walk down the street. There was a little store down the street. Let me walk down the street and get a newspaper. So I come down the stairs and hit the sidewalk. And all, I'm disgusted. I feel the pressure, the weight of everything on me. And all of a sudden, from within, within me, this song pops up that we used to sing years and years ago when I first got born again, it would have been mid-80s, somewhere in that area. I'm filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. I'm filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. And the song went on and on like that. I'm singing this by myself. You would have passed me, you'd think this guy's a kook. Because there was no Bluetooth then. So when somebody was talking to themselves, they genuinely were talking to themselves. Now we see somebody walking in. We don't think they're crazy because we figure they... they they got the little thing on. By the time I got to the store, which was only a block and a half away, all that heaviness, all that weight, all that junk just fell off of me. And, and I'm now I'm really singing that song. Because what am I telling myself? If I'm filled with praise, then I'm filled with the one on the inside that can make praise. If I'm filled with glory, when you start remembering who you had on the inside of you, you start living different. The stuff that's trying to weigh you down, the stuff that's trying to depress you, the tr- just, and listen, 
There is a reason. You don't just get weighed down because you get weighed down. You don't just get depressed for the sake of getting depressed. You don't, you don't get disgusted for the sake of getting disgusted. When you start feeling depressed, when you start feeling uh, destitute, when you start feeling weighed down, heavy, it is the enemy setting you up for his next attack. Because everything starts in the mind. Everything starts with a seed. The devil planted a seed in Eve's mind that she was missing out on something, and it went downhill from there. If you don't get a hold of it, as soon as you realize that seed is starting to sprout, you're going to have to deal with the fruit of it. So, is it important? Now, am I saying you've got to walk around the street singing a song like you're one of the seven dwarfs, or what is it? What am I saying? You've got to get a hold of your mouth because your mouth is going to determine your next season. Your mouth is going to determine what's next. You have got to get a hold of it, and you've got to start speaking the realities. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Spirit of the Creator in you. You have the same one who raised Jesus from the dead in you. And he wants to come out. He wants to manifest himself. He wants to influence the people around you. He wants to affect your circumstance. He wants to set your feet on the right path. He does not want us wandering in life. Acts chapter 5 tells us that Peter would walk through the streets of Jerusalem and people would bring out their sick because when his shadow hit them, they would be healed. How'd you like to see that stuff happen? But was this because there was something special about Peter? Well, Peter's special. Because now you're talking about that Saint Peter you're talking about, Pastor. He's like the primary one in the church. No, it had nothing to do with the fact that it was Saint Peter walking the streets. It had to do with the fact that there was a human being who within their spirit lived the Holy Spirit. And he was so in tune with that Holy Spirit that there was nothing, he was not putting up any obstacles to the Holy Spirit operating through him. We put up obstacles sometimes. We entertain mindsets. We get ourselves involved in things that we shouldn't get involved in. And it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to manifest because he's mad at you. It's you then can't get in tune. There's a blockage. There's an obstacle. There's a distraction. There's something that's weighing you down. Because even when you start, how many have ever come? Nah, maybe don't raise your hands. How many have ever come into, the, into church? It's time to worship God. And you begin to sing or begin to put your hands up. And your mind tells you, how dare you worship God after what you did today? You're not good enough to worship. You sinned. You said this. You did that. You thought this. And then you go like this. You shrink on the inside. But thank God that we've got the Holy Ghost on the inside. That yes, the fact is we may have messed up. We may have screwed up. We may have done something we had no business doing. We might have... We might have thought something we had no business thinking. We had to said something. We might have treated somebody in a certain way we, had, we, we shouldn't have. 
What are you going to do, stay in that thing? When you fell off your bicycle when you were young and you were just learning, did you stay? You go, I can't ride this anymore. What did you do? You got right back up again. So if you find yourself in those areas where you've got blockages, where you've got obstacles, where you've got distractions, take care of it. Go before the Lord. Acknowledge the fact that you messed up. He knows anyway. You know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching on repentance in a few weeks. And I'm going to take a few weeks to teach on that. Why? Because here's, here's, here's what I believe from the scriptures. Repentance is God's gift to his children. The ability for us to say, I have messed up big time. I love you. I know that you love me. I know that you've forgiven me. But listen, repentance is for us. It's not for God. God doesn't change when you sin. And God doesn't change when you, when you live holy. God is God. God does not change. Didn't we used to sing a song like that years ago? God is God and God don't never change. Huh? You want to come up and sing that one? So repentance is for us. What is the reason for repentance? Is it so that we become conscious of our sins constantly? No. It's so that we acknowledge and get them out of the way. Well, pastor, we've already been forgiven. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about obstacles. Now, do you want an obstacle in the way when you need to bring forth the power of God into your situation or somebody else's situation? Do you want to have that uh, on the inside knowing this thing is bothering me. This thing is in my way. I know you're on the other side. I know you're there. I know, I know you're in me. I know that you're willing to do whatever needs to be done for me or this person. It's just I'm having a hard time getting over this thing. So repentance takes me to the place where the obstacle gets removed so that the enemy can't say, you know what you did? Yeah, I know what I did. And it's already been taken care of. It's none of your business. It's between me and my father, not me and you. Peter had no obstacles in his life at that point. So the power of God, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the very healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ could just go right from him. He didn't even have to touch the people. They just had to be in his presence. You imagine that. Now look at this. Jesus had said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works. Now you remember when Jesus was on the earth, he either had to touch them or they touched him. Right? Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus was walking less of power, but watch what he does. He leaves, and he leaves us with the fullness of the Holy Spirit here in this earth. All Peter's got to do is walk by. He don't have to touch him. They don't have to touch him. Do you remember? In chapter 3, he and John are going into the temple, there's a man there that's been laying there since, they put him there every day since birth. He's never, ever, ever walked. All he's been is a beggar all his life. And, he, and Peter and John come up, and this guy's obviously shaking his whatever container to get coins. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. In other words, silver and gold ain't going to do you any good because you've been here all these years collecting silver and gold, and you're still crippled. Silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and be healed. Did he touch him? 
what did he do? Spoke. There are situations in your life, I'm done. So, so take this serious because I'm done after this. There are situations and circumstances in your life that are waiting for you to speak. And the only thing, you know, I don't know why this keeps happening, because you keep speaking how powerful it is instead of speaking how powerful the Holy Ghost in you is. You keep strengthening that thing. I picture, I picture the enemy. I picture evil spirits like, you remember the old Godzilla movies? The ones where the mouths didn't match up with the... You remember the one when Godzilla's coming to Tokyo and they figure we're going to fry him, okay? And what did they, as soon as he touches that electrical stuff, he got stronger. Instead of, instead, of, instead of growing weaker, he got stronger. They thought, well, we'll fry him. No, no, that was... A, so when you complain, when you mumble and grumble and, 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 and just... Cast seeds of doubt not only within yourself but everybody around you. It's like Godzilla touching those high those high power wires. Those, you know, and and growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Stop grumbling, stop complaining, stop acknowledging the power of the enemy, and start acknowledging that you have the greater one living inside you. Yes or no? Did you get anything tonight? Was it worth coming out in the rain? Yes. Stand up, because we're going to make a confession of faith, and then we're going. What is a confession of faith? A confession of faith is when we say the same thing that the Word of God says, and in us speaking it, we are strengthening ourselves. We are building ourselves up. We are, we are gaining strength. Amen? Yes. So I'm going re- to say some things. I want you to repeat them but I want you to do it in faith. Well, I don't know if I feel like it. And that's why it's called the confession of faith. It's not a confession of feeling. Okay, you ready? I want you to repeat after me. I thank God for the Holy Spirit who lives in me. I acknowledge he is the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I declare that I am not concerned by the attacks and challenges that come against my life. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am empowered to do the greater works that Jesus commanded us to do. I believe this. I'm acting on it. In Jesus' name, name. amen. 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 God bless you. Drive safely. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.